It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only here at KNews 98.5. This is your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases. It has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances and to enforce the voters' decision to ban cannabis billboards on Highway 101. I have been honored to serve as elected Port San Luis Harbor Commissioner and repeatedly served as Superior Court Special Master. Here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law, you will hear from office holders, lawyers, and activists shaping public policies. Last week, we spoke with environmental lawyer Richard Ayers, suing the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission and PG&E for Friends of the Earth. We heard why and how Mothers for Peace and the Friends of the Earth allege that extending Diablo Canyon's license as a nuclear plant violates federal law. I also heard from Congressman Salude Carbajal, Talk about his work for you in the House of Representatives on the Armed Services Committee, on the Agriculture Committee, and on the Infrastructure Committee. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interview at knews985.com. That's K-N-E-W-S 985.com. This hour, we are speaking with James Blattler, who is in charge of the San Luis Obispo City Fire Department. But when I called him the fire chief, he bridled and said, they made me the emergency manager. We'll find out what the city is doing and what you can do to prepare for wildfires, floods, nuclear accidents, and other disasters. Welcome to the show, Mr. Blattner. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Can I call you James? You can call me James. All righty. James, I, I wanted to find out for our listeners a little about your background. Where are you from and how did you get into fighting fires? Yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area, a mm-hmm. town called Martinez or City. Sure. And uh, grew up there, stayed there, lived there uh, up until the age of 18, graduated high school. And found myself at the beautiful location of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh-huh. And uh, as many people, uh, uh, that is what brought me to the Central Coast. Loved it so much, I had a really hard time leaving. And basically have been here since I came to start Cal Poly. Uh, spent a little bit of time back up in the Bay Area. After I graduated, it was at the kind of peak of the recession. Study business, but took a look around and decided I wanted to get into public safety. And so looked into the fire service, went through a fire academy, got my EMT certificate, and spent a few years working as a paid call firefighter and a reserve EMT uh, before becoming a firefighter with Cal Fire up in the Santa Clara unit. So moved up there along with my wife and spent about a year up in the Bay Area. But uh, that position was seasonal with Cal Fire. So sure. when it ended, uh, decided to explore other, other options during the off season and found myself in the world of risk management, uh, assisting the city and county of San Francisco. And uh, was fortunate enough to be able to work remotely. And so we moved back down to the Central Coast uh, along with my wife. Wow. And, and that's how we came back. 
And and then uh, I assume you applied to the city because there was an opening. And that's right. So found myself in a contract position with the city of San Luis Obispo, working in human resources risk management. And uh, soon after that, a position opened up in the fire department uh, for an administrative analyst position. And so I had some administrative background and fire service background, so it all aligned very well. Uh, took that position, spent about five years as the fire department's analyst uh, before moving into my current position as emergency manager with the city. Well, now you've got my curiosity peaked. Uh, what does a fire department analyst analyze? Analyzes many things. So uh, the analyst's uh, position within the city kind of varies from department to department. Uh, within the fire department, uh, my core responsibilities were overseeing the budget, uh, managing special projects, grants, um, and uh, kind of whatever comes uh, my way. Um, became the department's public information officer uh, in that role. Mm -hmm. We didn't really have a formalized uh, PIO, as we call it. And, and so I stepped into that role, and I've been actually continuing to do that uh, since about 2018. My goodness. Well, now, so you would have been one of the ones writing grant applications to get a new fire truck for the city, uh, new equipment for the firefighters. Yeah, so um, we've been pretty successful with some of our mm -hmm. grants. We have, over my time, secured funding to train EMTs as paramedics, which is a higher level of, of pre-hospital emergency care. And we've also secured some urban search and rescue equipment. We've secured money to do wildfire fuels mitigation, some emergency management training for the city. So we've been fortunate in some of the grants that we've received. Now, when the city's doing wildfire mitigation, for instance, mm -hmm. um, our city owns uh, more open space, I think, than any other city this size other than Boulder, Colorado, is what I've heard. Um, is that where the fire, uh, wildfire mitigation happens, or is it in other areas? Yeah, so we live in a beautiful place in San Luis Obispo. We're surrounded by beautiful open space, like you said, mm -hmm. and with that comes a threat of wildfire. And so we have a fantastic team within the city. It ranges from the fire department to the ranger service to the Office of Natural Resources and Sustainability. And together as a team, we really look throughout the city at some of the more high-risk areas mm -hmm. to address. And so for us, that's a number of areas. It's what we call the wildland and inner wildland urban interface, also known as WUI, which is really where that <laughs> open space. Oh, please, WUI. WUI. I know. <laughs> wildland urban interface. So okay. there's acronyms for everything, especially in the fire service and emergency management. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's one of the key areas that we look at because it's where the wildland abuts with the built environment. And it's one of the areas of greatest threats because when you have that wildfire that starts on the outside of the city, it's how it intrudes into oh, into the city. And so that's an area. And I've lived here long enough to have seen a couple of those mm -hmm. uh, look like they were coming into the city. That's right. I think the last major wildfire that, that came into the city was the Las Palitas Fire. Um, I believe that was back in the 80s where yeah. it was a very large fire, moved into the city. Fortunately, I don't believe they lost any structures within that fire. No, I don't think so. But, At least uh, in slow. The, the backfires up the hills were uh, as awesome and mm -hmm. frightening, frankly, as yeah. the fire coming at the city. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, well, I've been practicing law a long time here. I moved my entire library and all my files uh, to Shell Beach. It was that close. Yeah. And 
Shell Beach, as we've seen, uh, can be at risk too. Yes. A few years ago, the Avila fire, mm -hmm. um, I assisted out there with that with some public information and uh, pretty incredible how quickly that fire spread. And we've seen things more recently. We had a 90 acre fire in the heart of San Luis Obispo just a, a, a few years ago in 2020. Um, in the South Hills open space and uh, fortunately a really quick aggressive response from uh, both our fire department and regional partners were, were able to stop that. Now for the old timers, <laughs> where is that? South Hills open space is in the heart of San Luis Obispo. So South Street, it, it's south of South Street. Of course. And uh, just east of South Higuera. The, the Rocky Hills. That's right. Between, uh, between the... Uh, Elks Lodge and uh, Broad Street. Right, yeah. So if you put a box, basically Broad Street, South Higuera, Tank Farm, and South Street, it's uh, within that box. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, also a, a great source of water right there. Uh, Crystal Springs water uh, comes out of that hill, and I think it's artesian. Um, I don't, I'm not sure where it comes from, but Interesting. one question I'm, uh, I'm curious about... Um, all the people I know in the other part of public safety, the mm -hmm. police departments around here, tell me that they, they are having trouble keeping uh, police officers and hiring new police officers. Uh, are you experiencing the same thing in the fire service? Uh, I wouldn't say the same thing at all. Uh, law enforcement mm -hmm. has had... Um, uh, a lot of challenges in recruitment in recent years and uh, the fire service uh, not necessarily challenging recruitment but more in specified positions mm -hmm. so um, we've recently had a tougher time uh, recruiting paramedics which as I mentioned before are have a higher level degree of um, of certifications and, and and experience and just abilities to provide pre-hospital emergency care. So it takes about a year and a half of schooling to go through to get your paramedics uh, license, um, as opposed to an EMT, emergency medical technician, who provides basic life support. Um, that takes about a semester's worth of, of education. So, so any of your, our listeners, if you've got a son or daughter who uh, you want to get into a steady good paying job with pension benefits <laughs> and the excitement of uh, saving lives and cheating death, uh, send them over to the city of San Luis Obispo and uh, do you do anything to help people go through those programs? Uh, in most cases, uh, who we recruit already have those certifications. Okay. And um, where would they get those? So locally, there's a few programs. Uh, Cuesta College uh, has been predominantly the, the, the primary program locally um, to get a paramedics license. Um, however, I believe the Allen Hancock College um, is just has just created a paramedic program as well. Okay. Yeah. And so it's definitely you have a much higher likely of, likelihood of getting hired if you have the paramedic license. Um, but we do, at times, as I mentioned about grants, um, have opportunities to train some of our own personnel to move from the EMT to paramedic level. Okay. So somebody might get in as an EMT, but they, they might be able to move up through the ladder. It's possible, yes. Uh, and, and, of course, you're an example of that because you did that, and now you're the head of the department. <laughs> well, I'm not the head of the department. You're not. No. So There I, really uh, is a chief. <laughs> there is a chief. There's a chief. There's also a deputy chief. And, uh, um, yeah, so I, I serve in my role as emergency manager. I, I Yeah, um, I have the unique uh, responsibility of helping make sure both the city and community are prepared for major disasters. 
Well, and, and, you know, those happen. I mean, we just saw that happen on Maui. Mm -hmm. And nobody thinks it can spread through a city that quickly. But uh, now that we're having uh, high wind events, uh, which we've had here recently, uh, that can happen. What, What is the city and your department doing to prepare for that kind of uh, a high wind combined with fire event. Yeah, there, there's uh, a long list of things that you need to do to prepare for something like that. And really, you can't, you can't totally be fully prepared for an event that occurred in Lahaina yeah. um, or campfire or uh, yeah, Santa Rosa, what we saw in Coffee Park a few years ago with the Tubbs fire to where, and what I mean is that you can't fully prepare. What I mean by that is that once you have those sustained, you know, 60 to 80 mile per hour winds and the fire has spread to structures and it's now moving structure to structure, there's not a uh, there's not enough resources in the world, firefighting resources in the world, to really stop it. It all mm-hmm. becomes at that point about getting people out of harm's way. So, do you do you have plans for evacuating people yeah. in that kind of an event? And so that's that's part of the preparation is really those evacuation preparations, and and that is a huge effort, and it's something that we've been focusing on quite a bit. Uh, just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, the county rolled out a new platform uh, about evacuation zones. So the, there was a grant that was secured um, within the San Luis Obispo County Fire Safe Council. And they secured money to create these evacuation zones countywide. How much was that? I believe it was three hundred thousand dollars. Although, don't fully quote me on that. And okay. it was uh, lasted. It's a three-year grant. And so, um, what it allows, what it allowed every all of us to do is basically create a puzzle of the entire county of San Luis Obispo, and each of those puzzle pieces is a zone and every jurisdiction within the county has it. So that way, really it's an educational piece. It's used both by first responders. So um, those incident commanders, when they show up and there's a major emergency that they need to evacuate people, they look at the area and look at the zone that needs to be evacuated and they can quickly identify those zones. So this is flexible. There's not a, uh, the evacuation plan if Diablo Canyon had a Mm -hmm. emergency is fairly fixed. If you're in one part of the city, you go north. If you're in another, you go south. But um, you know where you're supposed to go. Right. Uh, how would how would the emergency personnel get the word out to people about yeah. where they're going to evacuate to? Right, and that's part of the that's part of the process. So first, it's identifying where we want to evacuate, which is an important part. Sure. But the most important part is making sure people know that they need to evacuate. And so that comes with the alert and warning system. And how's that, that going to work? So that's managed by the County Office of Emergency Services. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have the ability to send out a whole suite of alert and warning devices. And that ranges from reverse 911 to uh, wireless emergency alerts to using emergency sirens that are there for Diablo Canyon but can be leveraged uh, for other emergencies. Let me test that for a second. Um, uh, I constantly, in my law firm, people come in and there might be a consult or a new client, and they give me their phone number, but because they don't have to change it, it's still a phone number from uh, Fresno or Mm -hmm. San Francisco or L.A. or Arizona. if there, if these reverse uh, warnings are going out to cell phones, for instance, right. do they know 
where people are, or do they only go to 805 uh, area code numbers? Yeah, and that's uh, an important distinction between, say, the reverse 911 program, which I'll explain okay. uh, just in just a bit, and the wireless emergency alerts. So the wireless emergency alerts are based off cell phone towers, so they can uh, put in some geofencing to see the area that they want notified. It has a margin of error. It's usually a lot wider than the area that you really want to target. That's sensible. Yeah, and so that sends those emergency alerts. A lot of people have seen it through those Amber Alerts um, mm -hmm. during our recent storms. Uh, many of them were sent out during evacuations. Um, I know during in the South County area in Arroyo Grande with the levee, uh, they had to issue numerous um, WIAs, as they call them, wireless emergency alerts. I told you about those acronyms. Doggone acronyms. I know. Let's use and, words. Uh, so that, that's <laughs> One of, that's one of the tools. The other is that reverse 911. Uh -huh. And so that system okay. automatically contacts uh, landlines within a geo, geographical area. So not many people have landlines. And so it automatically can reach all landlines, no problem. But if you have a mobile phone or a voice over internet phone, VoIP, um, you can uh, you wouldn't be reached by those by that reverse 911 system unless you opt into it. I see. And so we really stress uh, all community members to opt into that program. And uh, you do that through the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Office. Uh, you just have to go online and search San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Reverse 911. And what's really cool about that system to opt into it is, yes, you can establish your own cell phone line at your given address. And so anytime that there's an emergency around that fixed address, you'll get notified on your cell phone. So if you've, if you've opted in, but you have to take steps to opt in, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what your uh, prefix is or what your uh, area code is, uh, you're going to get one of those alerts. Yeah, it's all based on your address that you enter in when you opt in, the physical address. And can you tell listeners how to opt in again? Yeah, so you go to the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Office, so get on the internet and search San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Reverse 911. And what's really cool about that, what I like, is that if you have loved ones that you're concerned about or care about that live within San Luis Obispo County, you can put your phone number in for their address, and so that way you can get notified if there's an emergency. So maybe you have um, elderly parents or grandparents or uh, a loved one that has um, any disabilities that you know would be significantly challenged during times of evacuations or emergencies. A uh, great idea to put that uh, address in there tied to your phone so that way you can go and check on them and make sure that they get the help that they need. That's good advice. Good advice. So that that gives you alerts. Um, now, uh, you're the emergency manager. Uh, are you um, coordinating between the fire department and the public uh, utilities department and, and the police department and other departments in the city? Yes, absolutely. So okay. I work in the fire department, but I serve as the city's emergency manager. And so there's a lot of collaboration among mm -hmm. all departments okay. uh, to do emergency management. And every department has its unique set of needs. Uh, and and so it's, it's a very cool opportunity to work with them. Um, but it's also important to know that when we have an emergency, the city activates uh, an emergency operations center another acronym coming for you, EOC, Emergency, Ac Emergency Operations Center. Okay. And so what that's, in, the intent of the Emergency Operations Center 
is to support the first responders in the field. And where is that located? It's located at Fire Station 1 is our primary location. Which is uh, South Street and And Broad. Broad. Yeah, it's uh, technically the street name is Santa Barbara, but it's like most people know it as South and and, uh, Broad Streets. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And... and, uh, so if that kicks in, uh, and you know, we, I was going to ask you about the challenges mm-hmm. of all this new development that's happening. We mm-hmm. have a lot of new high-rise development. Um, not that anyone wants this to happen, but if there was a fire spreading through uh, the more densely mm-hmm. uh, built structures that you see, for instance, out along uh, uh, Madonna Road now, across from the Laguna Lake Park, I imagine that would cause the EOC or the Emergency Operations Center to kick in, wouldn't it? Yeah, so really the threshold that we use to activate the Emergency Operations Center is the first responders' ability to resolve the incident within their normal uh, capacity and resources. Mm -hmm. So when an incident exceeds the resources and capabilities of a department, a lot of times it's the fire department during emergencies, but yeah. during the floods, you know, our public works department are the first responders for flooding. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it could be um, with our law enforcement partners. There's a number of law enforcement emergencies. So anytime that it really exceeds their capabilities, that's when the city's looking to stand up that emergency operation center and support them in whatever way possible, making sure they get the resources they need, uh, putting out public information because uh, a lot of times those first responders are very taxed at trying to solve the problem. Sure. And so they don't have the capacity they're, to... They're on the ground right. doing things, and there's uh, it's got to be somebody back at the station uh, letting the public know generally yeah. uh, you know, how to get a hold of their loved ones if they're in the affected area, how they can get out, those kinds of right. things. Right, exactly. Okay. Now, between emergencies... Mm-hmm. For instance, we did have flooding in these last rains uh, in the Laguna Lake area and along some of the creek areas. Uh, Are there steps being taken uh, in order to, say, clear the creek beds of brambles and other things that can uh, essentially create a dam so that the flooding occurs? Yes. So a big part of uh, the response and recovery after the storms that hit in January and March was what, what's called debris removal in the uh, world of emergency management. And that debris, a lot of that debris, was within the creek system. And we're going to have to wrap up for a break. Stay tuned through this news and a few important ads. And we're going to be speaking again with Mr. Blattler, the emergency manager for the city of San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. 